From the back of Christopher Pike's wheelchair, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So please welcome two fuel-injected suicide machines, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Suicide machine, maybe. Fuel injected, not so much, but uh, we always love a Christopher Pike Star Trek reference. Corey, who sent it in? That was brought to you by longtime listener, first time caller, Stuart Moncure. Awesome. Now, wait, you know, speaking of Star Trek, yeah. you know, there is a uh, Star Trek Into Darkness synopsis. Now, that's wonderful. Now, seriously, Paramount released a, yeah, a, a very great. brief. I, now, did you not know that? I, uh, y- yeah, I heard there is something. A, there is a, uh, uh, although it's, he's not named, there is a rumor that the main villain that Benedict Cumberbatch plays yeah. is, should I tell you who it is? Yeah. We, we, people think it is. Gary it's Mitchell. Con. It's Con. No, Gary oh, Mitchell. Oh, re- Gary Mitchell? From uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Oh, really? Yes. Now, that's a little more interesting to me. Because, Wade, according to Paramount, yeah. when the crew of the Enterprise is called back home, they find an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization has detonated the fleet. I don't know what that means. Blew it up. Am I supposed to eat this? Yeah, it's good. Okay. And plus, I'm trying to get rid of it. What What, what am I eating? What I made it this? like two weeks ago. Huh? What, what am I eating? What, uh, what two-week-old food are you shoveling uh, down was, my gullet? It was, it was, I just ate a piece. It was good. It was in my freezer. Uh, it is an uh, apricot-topped uh, cake. Okay, fine. Get this, even... get this out of the way, because we've got DVDs to talk about and yes, Blu-rays. Oh, what a good Blu-ray I'm looking at right now. Okay. When the crew of the Enterprise is called back home, they find an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization has detonated the fleet and everything it stands for leaving our world in a state of crisis. With a personal score to settle, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. As our heroes are propelled into an epic chess game of life and death, love will be challenged, friendships will be torn apart, and sacrifices must be made for the only family Kirk has left, his crew. That was terribly written. It's also terribly read by me, but it was terribly written. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's Star Trek Two. So very excited about that. Wait, come on, Star Trek Two. Although you know what, this uh, is good. Huh? This is very good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Go to hell. Anyway, um, no, uh, 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 it's supposedly Gary Mitchell. One man weapon of mass destruction. Uh, I, I think it's Gary Mitchell. I think that's the that's the. Uh, but then theoretically, wisdom. this film would take place after where no man, no man has gone before. Well, there is nowhere. Well, yes. I mean, I guess in theory there is nowhere no man's gone before because in, J- they, they, in JJ's they, telling they screwed up the whole chronology in, so they could do whatever they want. In JJ's telling, this is really yeah, just whatever. like an alternate thing. Yeah, whatever. Come on, don't be jealous. Jealousy is such a jealous word. Wade, also, can I tell you something? Yes. Uh, I was in New York. Yes. I saw two shows. What'd you, what'd you see for Thanksgiving? You saw two shows. Well, not on Thanksgiving, but yes, I was there but, for Thanksgiving, sure. and I saw two shows. I saw. Uh, now here's the thing. In 2005. And I promise we'll talk about DVDs. In 2005, and by the way, <laughs> as I'm digressing big time, mm-hmm. uh, we got an email from a uh, first-time listener, lo- a long-time listener, first-time caller, yeah. uh, named Taryn Von Neeson. And by the way, Taryn Von Neeson, the subject line of her email to you and me was, I love Mark's baking. Sweet. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm glad someone to, uh, does. I just wanted to offer a counter-opinion. To anyone's obnoxious, <laughs> anyone obnoxious enough to write in and tell you 
what they want you to talk about. You guys always suggest so many great movie titles for me to check out, but this is the only movie review show where I also get ideas of what kind of snacks I can make to enjoy with the movies I watch. You see, she gets it. Tim I like gets that. It. And she's from Canada. Anyway, so yeah. in 2005, I saw Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross right. on Broadway, Alan Alda and yes. uh, Liv Schreiber. Yes. I get to New York, seeing what's out there. What should I see? What should I drop 100 bucks on for a ticket? Right. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, again, is on Broadway. I'm like, I can't spend 100 bucks on this ticket. But... Ladies and gentlemen, who is playing the Jack Lemon role from the movie? What famous actor is playing the Jack Lemon role from the movie, who you may recognize also from the movie? I'm going to go out of the way, <laughs> and I'm going to say... Um, yes, Al Pacino. Okay. <laughs> Al Pacino, come on. <laughs> Al Pacino is starring in a revival of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross in the... Um, you know Jack what they Lemon should Roll. do? They should have a one-man show performance of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, with Al Pacino playing all the parts. He, he could do it. You yeah. know what? At first I thought this, this is just another flamboyant, over-the-top, mm-hmm. affected, ridiculous you know, ham, ham sandwich performance. I, I can play all the parts. In the first scene of the show, he was great. Mm-hmm. He was just a guy sitting in a Chinese restaurant trying to convince somebody to do something. That mm-hmm. was it. And I'm like, wow, Pacino is dialing it down. And then after, from then on, he was Pacino. The typical Pacino <laughs> who just eats ham sandwiches and shatters it up, and he was Pacino. But it was still a thrill. And then the other play I saw was uh, there's a revival of uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf mm-hmm. on the anniversary of its uh, original production. Nice. And it was amazing. Great. Also, one more thing. Yes. Because uh, Taryn Von Neeson has me going on, on Baked Goods now. Yep. You know, Hostess... Is going out of business. Uh, we know. This is, yeah. Twinkies, what a tragedy. Yes. Come on. How dare you? Okay. So if you're from the East, you know that Hostess owns Drake's Cakes. Yeah. Drake's Cakes, my favorite childhood cake. Mm-hmm. Funny Bones. Devil Dog. You heard of Devil Dogs? No. Funny, you haven't? No. Really? No. Funny Bones, Devil Dogs, Yodels. Okay. So I realize I've got to stock up yeah. on Funny Bones, Devil Dogs, and Yodels. Yeah, that's great. Nobody... Had any funny bones, devil dogs, or yodels. And, by the way, I spent the last day of my vacation hitting wow. up every two-bit, disgusting, crime-ridden convenience store in Queens <laughs> to try to find some devil dogs, funny bones, or yodels, and nobody had them. But it has a happy ending. Wow. Actually, it has two happy endings. Uh, one happy ending is that my cousin lives a couple miles away from a hostess outlet store. Oh, jeez. So we went there. And raided the halls. No, they were out. Really? Out of all Drake's cakes. No kidding. They said shipment coming in Saturday. Wow. Saturday, where was I? At the Hostess Outlet Store. I'm impressed. And I bought right now, which is in my in my refrigerator, four boxes of yodels. And last night, because I'm pathetic and unmarried and not dating anybody, so I got nothing better to do. <laughs> I there's a, there's a website called like Drake's Cakes Online or something. I'm not no. plugging it. For all I know, they ripped me off. Okay. Uh, Drake's Cakes Online, and I bought 32 um, Funny Bones. Very good. So I'm hoping, because I paid eat for them, it with, with huh? Eat them while you watch the movie Funny Bones. That's what you should do. That's terrible. Okay. Now, is good. there a movie called Yodel or Devil? There's probably a movie called Devil Dog. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. Well, three three other things really quickly we should mention. We both saw uh, Les Miserables. We, we, we saw, did. We did see it. And I think we pretty much feel the same way about it, which is it's going to win every Oscar uh, imaginable. It's going to sweep this year's Oscars. But I think we're both uh, somewhat underwhelmed, aren't we? I am. Yeah. You know, it's one of those movies where you understand. It, it. You know, 
in on Broadway they have these tourist shows, yeah, which are shows that mm-hmm. just the the the, uh, the tourists see yeah. and it's big and bloated and overblown and whatever. Mm. This is almost like a tourist movie. I I hear you. It's a movie that like it's for, it's two and a half hours. It's pitched at eleven from an energy level yeah. right from the start. Oh yeah, and you can see you can just you can just imagine your your middle aged mother weeping uncontrollably at this yeah. film. But ultimately, I, I, I look. I, I I took my wife and mother-in-law, and uh, my wife and I were both. Uh, yeah, okay, we have some reservations. My mother-in-law, honestly, you're talking about like a, you know a woman in her seventies who just lived, who's studied opera, right? Who just lives for this kind of stuff. Oh my gosh, she soaked it up like a sponge. And people were just weeping left and right. I mean, by the way, Eva Marie Saint was at our at our screening and I I passed her on the way out. And she and her people, they were just loving it. Everyone's loving it. It's very old school. That's why it's going to win. Are, are, now, here's the thing. I, I, I am curious. Are we missing something? No, we're not missing anything. What we're missing is the fact that, that good movies are in such short supply that when something comes out that even even kind of just tugs at the hem of what people think movies you know should be or what they used to be, it, everything just gets so it, it's it's like wow there it is finally a taste of greatness once again silver linings playbook I agree with you enough already I like it I like it but it's not great it's not brilliant it's so there, there, I haven't seen anything really brilliant yet anyway uh, and then and also we should make mention of the fact that uh, the television movie that we cannot wait to get on DVD Liz and Dick with uh, Lindsay Lohan playing Elizabeth Taylor um, is turning into an instant camp classic that thing is just through the roof it they, has gotten the worst reviews of any filmed entertainment in decades they must have known that there's oh, no way man. they could not watch that film and go this thing this sucks like, let's mommy dearest it up it they is, must it know is that just it, uh, the review if you read the review in the Hollywood Reporter it is it is priceless I know. It that was funny. I, I think, by the way, go, go on the uh, uh, Facebook page, Digigods yeah. Facebook page. Yeah. At facebook.com slash. Digigods or something. <laughs> we don't even know. <laughs> we're so Facebook clueless. Just go to Facebook. We're, we're, we're there. Yeah. Although I was on vacation for over a week, so yeah. I haven't been on for over a week, guys. Sorry. Yeah. You, Wade Major? No excuse. Yeah, I know. No excuse. All right. Let's, let's get into some DVDs and stuff. Oh, um, we do DVDs on the show? <laughs> yes, we do. We do indeed. Uh, we do indeed. And uh, I'm thinking next week we're going uh, to knock out our, uh, our holiday show. Uh, that's I'm waiting for you. I, it's no, I've got I've I've nailed down uh, all the all the goodies, all the uh, all the essentials. I think uh, there may be a few things that trickle in afterwards, but they're just going to have to get covered on uh, subsequent shows. Um, but for starters, this week, uh, and by the way, people send us emails and send us uh, more Vox boxes. We're out of Vox boxes. We, we are out no of more. Vox boxes. We need more Vox boxes. We want to hear you talk. Send us. Uh, no, send they want to hear my. They, they want to hear me sing the theme song. You want to hear Mark sing the same the theme the theme. <laughs> that's song. actually the reason why no one's sending any in. Uh, so email all that good stuff to us at gods at digigods.com, gods at digigods.com. And um, we have got a, a bunch of docs to make some recommendations on uh, just right out of the gate uh, this week. The first one is Payback, which is uh, from Zeitgeist. Some debts can't be paid with money. This is uh, based on a book by Margaret Atwood, who wrote the book Payback, Debt, and the Shadow Side of Wealth. This is an incredibly timely uh, documentary. Um, if you uh, if you're familiar with the Margaret Atwood, Margaret Atwood book, it's really all just about uh, the whole concept of debt, and not just debt in terms of oh crap, I charged up too much on my credit card. It's about a, a the concept of um, consuming more than you should, more than you can pay back, uh, not pulling your weight. It, it really gets into it. it. Sort of expands the idea of debt into all of these 
beyond fiscal implications, more into sociological and environmental. It's really, it's really kind of an all-encapsulating, almost existential approach to the concept. And uh, this is a very, very sharp documentary um, that very nicely put together. And uh, I got to tell you, um, Jennifer Beckwall, I think is how you pronounce her name, Beckwall, Beckwall, Beckwall. Uh, she previously did the movie Land, uh, Manufactured Landscapes and has a very kind of eclectic uh, documentary style. And it's perfectly suited to this material. So that, I think, is very, very sharp. Um, good, good entry from um, Zeitgeist there. And then we haven't talked about anything from Shanaki in a while. Um, uh, that's S-H-A-N-A-C-H-I-E. They do a lot of uh, kind of old archival television movies and TV series and stuff like that. Um, kind of a nostalgia label. But they have a terrific four-disc set here that comes in a digipatch packaging. Uh, 13 one-hour shows and four DVDs, Nazi Collaborators. And, uh, you know, I'm particularly uh, compelled by the subject just because um, people overlook this aspect of, uh, of Hitler's, you know, incredible war machine. Everyone thinks that it was, it was just basically Nazis going around and uh, ripping up Europe. Fact is, in every country that Germany invaded, and I know this because it's part of my family history, uh, there were people who were eager to welcome them, happy to have them there, happy to jump on board. And uh, the 13 episodes here get really deeply into this. The, the collaborators in Poland, in France, where this is still a really, really uh, touchy subject, uh, in Latvia, in Belgium, Croatia. Um, even talks about the IRA, the Irish, who obviously for reasons of uh, having mutual hatred of the English uh, wanted to jump on board. Uh, there was even the Grand Mufti in Jerusalem. Uh, there were there were Jews in Germany, believe it or not, who were who uh, collaborated with Hitler. There were the Dutch, there were the Greeks. Um, really extraordinary, uh, just a very depressing history. But it fills in a lot of essential blanks that uh, don't often get talked about. So bravo to them for uh, bringing that out. Uh, Nina Conti is uh, Mark. You a Nina Conti fan by chance? Oh yeah, she's uh, related to Bill Conti, the yeah, exactly. uh, composer of the Rocky theme. That's what I thought. Uh, Nina Conti's a puppeteer. And um, this is uh, basically uh, is called Nina Conti, Her Master's Voice and the Legacy of Six Bereaved Puppets. Um, this is, <laughs> I know, right? Is that uh, also the Elmo story with Kevin Clash? Well, this Aww. is this is an interesting kind of melancholic uh, journey that she takes to where the puppets whose masters, whose original ventriloquists are dead. So the puppets are dead, right? Nobody ever talked, you know, Charlie McCarthy, for all intents and purposes, gone, right? He died with Edgar Bergen, so did uh, Mortimer Snert. So anyway, this is uh, basically a tribute to all of the the, uh, the dead puppets of dead ventriloquists, including her, her lover and mentor, um, Ken Campbell, who is uh, some kind of legend that I'd never heard of. But, uh, you know, the fact that this is a film with Nina Conti, starring Nina Conti, uh, effectively directed and produced by Nina Conti in a very kind of eclectic, unusual way, it's a great, uh, it's a great look at ventriloquism from almost like a... I don't know, almost a, a spiritual standpoint. It's only an hour long, and uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting release from Virgil Films. If you're not into ventriloquism, I'm not sure it's going to have a lot of meaning for you. If you don't know the people involved, I don't know how much connection you'll have to it, but it's, uh, it's really pretty interesting. Uh, I, as anybody who knows me knows, I have been a longtime admirer of Aung San Suu Kyi and the fact that she is finally effectively free, and the country is seemingly turning the corner from uh, military dictatorship, although I think a lot of us are, uh, are a little bit skeptical that that's really happening. Um, uh, 
It's great that there are so many documentaries coming out that she's meeting with world leaders and she can travel again. And this is a great film called They Call It Myanmar, Lifting the Curtain. And, of course, Myanmar is not the uh, the real name of the country. It's what the military rulers want you to call it. But they call it Myanmar is certainly a tongue-in-cheek reference to that's uh, the fact that it's it is it's really Burma. They call it Myanmar, but it's really Burma. Well, you know, well, the, when, uh, the Obama came, when Obama came to visit. Yeah, just recently. He, but the thing is that he didn't call it Burma. You know, there's a thing. There's a going back and forth thing on that, but it's uh, you know, it's it's State Department policy to call it Burma, and uh, I I think that's a good thing. Anyway, this is uh, this is wonderful. Um, this is made over a uh, a three year period uh, that this film was shot, kind of under the under the radar, and it's uh, it really is just a a beautiful tribute uh, from Dakirama and uh, really first rate. So. Uh, excellent, excellent film, and uh, it's you know I can't I don't think you can sort of put this all on one person's shoulder. Robert H. Lieberman is technically the director and and guy who put it all together, but he had a lot of great collaborators here, and um, it, they really did a wonderful job. Um, real quickly on the uh, the remainder of the documentaries. We've got The Invisible War, which is also from Docurama. Uh, this is Kirby Dick's latest film. Kirby Dick, of course, made this film is not yet rated, which is uh, absolutely outstanding dissection of the horrible, miserable um, rating system. His new film, uh, The Invisible War, is uh, not quite so fun. This is a uh, big deal at Sundance and was about uh, the cover-up of rape in the U.S. military. And it's really depressing, but it needs to be seen. It's very important. Uh, Khodorovsky is a uh, documentary about this. It's not just about Khodorovsky. You know, Mikhail Khodorovsky was um, uh, one of the first uh, oligarchs in Russia to sort of have been made a scapegoat for having become wealthy after the country liberate, uh, liberalized after communism. And uh, they took a lot of these oligarchs and sort of made them scapegoats and, you know, repatriated a lot of their wealth and put them in prison on trumped-up charges. So he is kind of a symbolic figure. He was the first one who um, – the first one of these oil company oligarchs who really kind of uh, got shot between the temples uh, for daring to offend the Russian state. But this is um, this is very, very good. I think it could be a little deeper, but it's a good film from uh, Kino Lorber. Uh, Last Call at the Oasis is unbelievably depressing. It is uh, this is another docurama documentary from Jessica Yu, who previously did uh, like Breathing Lessons and a lot of other really excellent films. Uh, this is incredibly depressing because it's sort of about uh, how water basically is going to become a scarce resource, and uh, you know what we're doing to our water. And it's just it, there's no there's no solution in the film. It just says we're screwed. Really well-made film, but kind of depressing. Uh, the Definitive Document of the Dead is a uh, Roy Frumke's film that has been released on uh, DVD from Synapse. And this is just basically a celebration of uh, George Romero and uh, all of his, his dead films. Um, the, uh, the original um, 1978 documentary, uh, Document of the Dead, was just kind of a, you know, this is, this is a... Uh, this is a kind of an updated, uh, re-edited version of that, and uh, it's been popular for a long, long time. And uh, you know, it's got a lot of great classic footage in it, and it's uh, it's a must for any fan. Uh, last couple of titles here before we get into some uh, the important stuff, Mark. We've got uh, Half the Sky, which is also based on a book. Um, if you are um, 
if you are a, a diehard feminist, either a man or a woman, you will, re- I think, really respond to this. This is uh, based in the book Half the Sky, Turning Oppression into Opportunity for Women Worldwide. And uh, it's just a, a wonderful look at how the patriarchal structure all around the world is sort of disintegrating and women are able to finally assert themselves in places that uh, you would think culturally that was never possible before. And then the uh, last couple, we've also got uh, Minds in the Water, which is uh, a five years in the making uh, look at, you know, the protecting of the dolphins. And it comes in uh, eco-packaging, and it's about uh, this guy's journey from apathy to activist. If you love dolphins, you'll love the movie. If you're not so fond of dolphins, if you prefer your tuna with lots of uh, fleshy chunks of dolphin meat, then you probably won't want to watch it. And then lastly, a, another terrific documentary from uh, Virgil High Ground. Uh, this is this is really really inspiring and uh, one of those documentaries that you just you know it, it's going to bring a tear to your eye. It's not uh, it's not deep. It's not heavy, but it's a, it's a human story directed by Michael Brown, which is about eleven U.S. veterans uh, from Iraq and Afghanistan, all of them wounded in in war, all of them Purple Heart recipients, um, who uh, join this expedition to climb the Himalayan mountain Mount Labouche. I kind of wish it had been Everest because it would have been just the perfect epic, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just wonderful. It's, it's, you know, it's all about challenges in life and overcoming challenges and proving things to yourself and camaraderie, and it's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, 97 minutes long, has a great commentary, and uh, there's a trailer here, an audience reaction trailer that's almost a little bit pushing too many buttons. But nonetheless, this is a really deeply inspiring film, wonderfully put together, and uh, terrific, terrific story. It's about overcoming adversity. If you see this, you have no business ever whining ever again. Wade, the only adversity I face is looking at you every week to do this podcast. Damn straight. Katie with an Eye is an uh, interesting documentary because it is, uh, its aims and its goals are very uh, modest, and that is why it is powerful. It is about a, uh, it's really just about a girl, a, this young Southern girl who goes mm. to high school. Her name is Katie. Spells with an I. Yeah. And uh, it's all about that transition time between kind of young adulthood and adulthood where, you know, she's hanging out with her, you know, friends at the swimming pool and, you know, the arcade or whatever, or singing with the glee club and they're at her church. <clears throat> and then um, she just has a relationship with the older boy and it's sort of, you know, her first foray into adult relationships. And I don't know how Robert uh, Green, the doc, the uh, uh, director, I don't know how he found her. But I got to tell you, it's uh, it's interesting stuff because it is a very it's one of those movies that I like where it takes a very specific story to address universal themes of growing up. Very nice. And Katie with an eye from um, from the good folks at Icarus Films. Uh, it's good stuff. Katie with an nice. eye. Very also, nice. Also, uh, Paul McCartney, um, who at this point I don't know how old Paul McCartney is, but he's not getting any younger. Ninety six. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> interesting. By the way, speaking of old people, Bob Dole's in the hospital. Looks like he's on his last legs. He's really? like he's like ninety six. Can you believe that? Well, Bob Dole is in the hospital. Bob Dole. He's got to worry about Bob Dole. <laughs> I, that was always the funny thing to me is Bob Dole and Michael Jordan, the only two people who ever spoke of themselves in the first person. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, Paul McCartney from Capitol Studios Hollywood Live Kisses is uh, – I really like the packaging on this. It's kind of like the, the, the book packaging that sometimes uh, Universal – Yeah, that's terrific. I, I really like that. I thought they did a great job with that. The only other thing is you might not, th- you might not realize there's a DVD in there. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, but it, it is really nice. It's not just a DVD. Oh, no. The documentary chronicles this one night yeah. it was in February when uh, McCartney uh, went to uh, Capitol Studios and he recorded uh, some original songs, uh, also some standards he sang, and he's there with Dana Crawl and Stevie Wonder and Eric Clapton, and it's great. 
It's great. It's just one man in the studio singing standards, you know, uh, you know, uh, Bye Bye Blackbird and My Valentine and Always and Accentuate the Positive. It's really just great stuff. So um, Paul McCartney Live Kisses from Capitol Studios Hollywood is a kind of a bit of a must, at least a must rent yep. if you're of that age. I agree. Good packaging, good DVD, historic evening, love Stevie Wonder. You know, here's the thing with Stevie Wonder. You know, in the 70s, Stevie Wonder, you know, songs in the key of life. Mm-hmm. The, these songs are like, they're sure. like iconic. They're amazing. Yeah. And I don't know why Stevie Wonder has not spent the last 25 years making, like, well, like, except for I just called to say I love you. When was the last time you'd heard of a Stevie Wonder song other than songs in the key of life? That uh, album. I, I did. It's just weird. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's not like he's a one hit wonder. He's Stevie Wonder. I know. And I don't know why through like most of the 90s, definitely all the aughts, and yeah. now... Stevie Wonder, why aren't you making 16 great albums? The aughts? Yes, you're Stevie Wonder. The aughts? Is yes. that what we call the last decade? Uh, some people do. The aughts? Some people do. I haven't heard that yet. Yes, you have. So the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and aughts? They had the same problem in the 19 aughts, too. The aughts? I've never, I've never even heard of that. Yes, you have. No. <laughs> I, I haven't even referred the last decade. I've just referred to it as the lost decade because it's just it's filled with crap, crap music, crap movies, crap TV. It's just the crap decade. Oh the aughts. I'd never heard that before. All right, fine. No, fair enough. I'll 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 buy into that. Lying. All right. So um, finally, lastly, on this on yeah. this tack. Well, yeah. Fin- let's finish the music. You you you, you yeah. Well, this is the music. This is a baseball. Ba- yeah. Do the baseball. Let's finish music and then we'll we'll dive into the movies. You know those guys at uh, MLB Network and A and E. They really crank this stuff out. The Giants just won the World Series uh, yeah. not about a month ago or whatnot, and mm-hmm. uh, they swept the uh, Detroit Tigers. And MLB now has 2012 World Series champions official 2012 World Series film. Does he have a name? I guess it's called World Series 2012. That's just, that's it. It, it really is. It's called is. World Series 2012. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just all about the um, uh, Giants winning the World Series. And, uh, you know, it's a great story. They moved out from L.A. in the 50s, and for like, you know, 50 years, they didn't win a World Series. They won it a couple of years ago, and now they won it last month. So the Giants are a great team. Uh, Pablo Sandoval, he hit three home runs in, his, uh, in game one, which only a couple of people have ever done, including Babe Ruth. So he made history there, and uh, you know, for for four game series, it really wasn't. It really was kind of exciting. It, w- it really was um, pretty good. Yeah. So if you're a Giants fan, you're going to want this. If you're not a Giants fan, you're going to want to use it as a coaster. Groovy. Um, a couple of music things still to finish off. Uh, well, three right here. This one is from music video. Uh, it's I Cantina on the Road, 1971 to 1972 by Nadia and Bob Gruen. If you don't know who Nadia and Bob Gruen were, they were a husband and wife team. Um, Bob Gruen is, the, is a rock photographer who's taken more photographs and video than anybody has any business even, even imagining. He's just a real legend and uh, documented a lot of stuff in the 70s. And he uh, spent uh, about two years hanging out with Ike and Tina on the road and got a lot of great footage of them performing and rehearsing and, you know, laid back and formal and all the rest of it. And uh, this is just all that really cool footage put together. And you get to experience Ike and Tina in... Uh, in all their gloria, it's not really you know like uh, what's love got to do with it. You don't you don't see I taking a baseball bat to Tina's head or anything. Um, you don't you don't see the ugly side of it. But um, you, it's it's pretty good. You get some great performances here too. Proud Mary just never ever gets old. Um, Pick me up, really good. Oh devil, uh, a love like yours under the weather. Um, all pretty good. All really good stuff. So that's uh, that's worthwhile. And. Um, 
Doobie Brothers, let the music play. Story of the Doobie Brothers. This is on Blu-ray from Eagle, and uh, I, you know, I'm mixed on the Doobie Brothers. I'm kind of a fan until I still love them. I like all their stuff pre-Michael McDonald, and then once what? he shows up and yeah, I'm gonna be there, and he does his little piano thing, and they just kind of lost their their groove a little bit with him. It became like a, just another '80s act. But yeah, but yeah, I'm gonna be there. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it <laughs> doesn't hold up at all. It although you know what? Although the Doobie Brothers' greatest hits, that album, oh, yeah, that was a phenomenon. Well, anyway, when I was growing up, this is a—it's a great look back, and it's—it's uh, got some fantastic performance stuff on it. It's really nicely put together. It's about two and a half hours long, and if you're—if you're a Doobie Brothers fan, if you don't mind kind of reliving all of it, going through all their history and their era, and listening to some great music, can't go wrong. It's a good Christmas gift. Uh, Wade, uh, finally on the music front, Patty Smith live at uh, Montreux. We yeah, talk yeah. about these Montreux Blu-rays a lot. You know, it's the jazz festival. It started in like 1967. It's fantastic. It's great stuff. They always get great artists. And Patty Smith is definitely one of the best. If you don't know Patty Smith, she is, uh, they call her the godmother of punk. She is great. She was a rocker. She was a, or she is still around. Uh, she's a rocker. She's a poet. She's very influential. People tend to know her because she wrote the uh, Bruce Springsteen song, Because of the Night. That was hers. And, um, but still, she also, uh, you know, she's done other songs for other artists. Here, she, uh, she sings some of her famous songs, but also does some covers like, like a Rolling Stone. She does do Because of the Night, which is great. She does do People Have the Power, which is a great song. Um, but Patti Smith is a very influential uh, avant-garde rocker, poet, new wave pioneer, way ahead of her time, still around. Uh, she's got to be in her 60s now. So Patty Smith live in Montreux. It looks great. And you got to check this thing out. It's from 2005, so it's a bit old. So it doesn't look as totally high def and beautiful and pristine as some of the other uh, newer live at Montreux Blu-rays. But still, this is good stuff. All right. We're going to get into the movies now. Good movies, bad movies, classic movies, more recent movies. But, Mark, we have something very, very important. A gift that has been given to us by the good people at Criterion. And a gift. They're late on it. Oh, my gosh. I've waited for this for so long. All three and a half, almost close to four hours of this. It's it's good three and a half hours. We're talking about Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. This is the uh, the movie that literally did sink the second incarnation of MGM, or the third incarnation, depending on how you uh, split it up. And, uh, you know, MGM was really suffered under a lot of very bloated movies uh, on a number of occasions. But Heaven's Gate really was a catastrophe when it came out in 1980. And that was just kind of when the studio era was trying to morph into something else, into a more corporate entity. uh, But they still didn't have the hands-on approach that perhaps they should have had. Anyway, Michael Cimino, of course, was coming off of a massive Oscar victory with The Deer Hunter. Prior to that, you know, Cimino had not really been, like, an A-list guy. I mean, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd written, like, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, and he'd been kind of like an action guy, you know? He, he wasn't somebody that people were looking at as, a, as an Oscar guy. It's like, Michael Cimino's not going to win an Academy Award. Next thing you know, The Deer Hunter, it's a real movie. It's an amazing movie. It's the first movie to really kind of tackle Vietnam just a few years after Vietnam uh, formally ended, and he wins a heap of Oscars, movie becomes a legend, and he uh, converts all of that capital into a big bloated mess called Heaven's Gate, which, when re-edited, is amazing. Uh, I'm one of the few that really thinks that this is a, a film that has been so unfairly maligned. It is, it's staggering photography. It's Vilmos Zygmunt, who, of course, just three years earlier had done... Um, uh, won an Oscar for Close Encounters as well. And, uh, you know, look, one of the best performances you'll ever see from Christopher Walken, 
one of the best performances you will ever see from Chris, uh, Chris Christopherson. Some of the best work you will ever see from John Hurt or Sam Waterston. Sam Waterston, who would go on just a few years later to do uh, The Killing Fields. I mean, this is really a, an extraordinary movie, and it is just beautifully done. And uh, it's about a piece of history that people just typically ignore, you know, uh, the Johnson County War of 1892, which really happened. And, uh, you know, you've got Isabelle Huppert is in this as well. It's just, it, you know, it's just such a good movie. It's just such a good movie. Um, it's a good movie, but if he didn't, if he didn't go so over budget and uh, so over the schedule, then I, I, I you know, people say that this movie actually helped bring down that sort of director-driven way that Hollywood was doing business for at least it, it the last few years during the seventies and kind of it did. And it, then, this is kind of the, the 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 punctuation mark at the end of that seventies uh, auteur period because it was when it finally went off the rails. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, it's worth also pointing out that uh, Joseph Cotton is in this, one of his very last roles. And if this movie had not happened, um, you would not have Crazy Heart. You realize that. This is the movie where Jeff Bridges, who's also in the film, I mean, what a cast for crying out loud. This is where Jeff Bridges and uh, T-Bone Burnett uh, really hooked up and developed that lifelong friendship and collaboration that wound up leading to the work in uh, in Crazy, Crazy Heart. Heart. Yeah. So, now, I mean, that and Crazy Heart won a bunch of Oscars, man. Come yes, on. Did. Give it up. Now, uh, we have to talk about Heaven's Gate, how long it is. There are it's many long. cuts of this film. Yes. It was this is cut the, down from 149, and this one is 216, right? Yeah, this, this is, is Chimino's. This is Chimino's definitive 216-minute cut. It's the only version you should ever see. Yep, this and, is the one. By the way, the um, this Blu-ray transfer restored by Chimino yes. is unbelievable. Gorgeous. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And there's film grain all over this. I mean, this is what I love about what Criterion does. They, 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 they went out of their way. They go do everything they can to make this film look just pristine and glorious and fantastic, but it still looks like film, and that's just beautiful. And by the way, uh, it's just like the shot compositions, the vistas, I mean, just, it's just gorgeous. Yep. Um, but when you watch the film, and you should watch the film, it probably might take a couple nights because it's like four hours long. It's just really good. It is, uh, it's great. Uh, I want you all to go on Google and look at a picture of Michael Cimino today. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> he, I don't know what happened to that guy. He's, he's got to be in his, what, 60s now? I don't know what happened to him, but I, I do want to say this. He, he um, I think he got caught in an elevator uh, between Lana Wachowski and Tim Burton, <laughs> and something from the two of them rubbed off. He and is. it's very disturbing what, what he's allowed himself to turn into. I, I don't recognize it. He is 73. He's 73 years old. Yeah, he's 73 going on uh, punk rock. <laughs> uh, it's very strange. <laughs> of course, you guys won't see this. But well, just, well, Mark, wait, wait. What? This is Michael Cimino. <laughs> it's just so it's disturbing. Bizarre. You know what? He, he looks like one of those... Those weird, like Miike Asian, you know, uh, avant, you know, directors. Yeah, he does. He, you know, what he, he look look like, like you know what he looks like. You know what he looks like. He, he does look a little bit like Miike. Although I have to say, he almost right there, he almost looks like Kim Kardashian and Michael Jackson's love child. There's something very strange. <laughs> I just don't. And that was that. Was, okay, that was 2008, yeah. and so he was about 68 years old when he took That's that picture. Freaking weird. Not a not a speck of gray on him. Oh my God. Yeah, not not a speck of flesh on him either. Oh, 
Um, anyway, two discs here on the Blu-ray, and it's also on DVD as well. But the Blu-ray, get the Blu-ray. Forget the DVD. The Blu-ray, 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 Blu-ray. Oh, get the, uh, oh my God, get the Blu-ray. Oh, Buy so a Blu-ray player for this. Five point one sound, um, HD, uh, DTS HD as well, and uh, it's just a fantastic transfer. On the second disc, you get uh, an illustrated audio interview with uh, both Chimino and Joanne Corelli, who was his producer. Uh, brand new uh, retrospective interviews with uh, Chris Christopherson and David Mansfield, who of course did the music and the second AD. Michael Stevenson, uh, a demonstration on the restoration teasers and uh, TV spot. It's all kind of standard stuff. But the, the new interviews are great and uh, just really first rate. The movie, gosh, what a good movie. Great movie. This is, this is Pick of the Week. He's a great writer. Yep. I mean, don't, don't, you know, don't forget, he, wrote, he, he co-wrote uh, Magnum. He co-wrote a, a Dirty Harry That's movie. That's right. He, Magnum Force. Yep. With John Milius. Yep, he sure did. All right, Wade, uh, we're going to get to the uh, new releases. God forbid we get to something people want to hear about. Oh, jeez. I'm going, I'm going out on a limb, Wade. I'm going to say it. It took a while. It yes. took about, it took about an, uh, maybe a hundred minutes into this film for me to go. Men in Black Three is not bad. Really? Yeah, it's not bad. Really? It's fine. It's fine. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. Fine. Now we, <laughs> be that way. So, I, the, no, did I see this with you? I, no, you didn't see it with me because it took it took me about fifteen minutes to go. Ooh, oh, this is in trouble. This is in trouble. This is this is two this is two hundred million dollars that somebody just well, they just took it. They took two hundred million dollars and they just very nicely made a little pile of it and poured gasoline on it and just set it on fire. They see, just said, We don't really want two hundred million dollars and we're just going to burn it into into just ashes but and that's, then blow away. But you know what? That's the businessman for the average yeah. Joe in, in Biloxi, Mississippi oh, watching this film. The average Joe. The yes. average Joe watched the original men in black. Forget about two and three. Yeah. Well, forget about it too. I, I guarantee you that much. You know yeah. what? I, I, I'll, I'll tell you something. If this film was Men in Black 2, it would not have taken 10 years to come up with Men in Black 3. Probably true. So yeah. I, I don't think this is that yeah. bad. I really don't. I, you know, uh, what's his name? Josh Brolin is great. Oh, he's terrific. He's really terrific. As a young uh, Tony Lee Jones. But it's the whole kind of wraparound back to the future narrative that they imposed on this thing. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they, they went with a whole new set of writers who are not connected to the original concept and it just it's it's not good original schmidgenal what yeah. does that have to do with anything it's just it i don't know i don't know it just it did not work did not work for me well this uh this is a good looking movie uh it does yeah, it's it, good it, looking it's it, a good looking blu-ray it's a fabulous looking blu-ray but, well wade you know, as you, you know want? as you know wade it's in 3d and that's really all that matters that's a big problem too exactly. anyway this is uh I, I love these sony blu-ray transfers this thing looks great uh, it sounds great. It's got a great uh, DTS uh, HD Master Audio 5.1 lossless track, which is great. All the Blu-rays have these great lossless tracks. Uh, the extras are kind of, uh, they're okay. There's a lot of them, but not, not a lot of them are, are very good. There's a gag reel. Um, there's a making of, which is a rise about 25 minutes. And uh, there's a stupid game, like Spot the Alien game. It's just lame. I don't know what that was about. Um, anyway, so it's really not that bad. You know what? It's a good rental. It's, you know what? It's, uh, okay, don't buy it, but it's a good rental. Thank you. No, you're all right. I'm putting it out there. And, uh, you know, this is, this is always fun. I love it when they come out with these. This is uh, Elvira's Movie Macabre, the Mega Booby Marathon. Uh, movie Marathon. Did I just say that? Dud. I must have. Uh, you know, Elvira's Movie Macabre has been releasing uh, little bits in, here and there of her movie, well, her hosting of the, uh, the Movie Macabre movies on television where basically you, you come back to – you come back to her between the uh, the episodes and the commercial breaks, and she makes fun of them. All of stuff, by the way, we should point out that that whole routine was originated by, by Vampira. 
and that there was a lawsuit, actually, that Vampira lost. And we do want to uh, pay tribute to Vampira because our good friend Ray Green, who I uh, did the Schlock documentary with, Ray has a new documentary, Vampira and Me, which uh, he spent uh, quite a number of years on. And uh, it kind of dovetails a little bit from Schlock because we had uh, interviewed Mila Nurmi for Schlock. And Ray had known her for a number of years, and uh, after she passed away, decided he wanted to pay tribute to her. And he has done an amazing job with Vampire and Me. Uh, We will certainly talk about it when it shows up on DVD at some point, but keep your eyes open. It's hit a few festivals, and uh, we we should have Ray on as a guest on the show when when that happens. That'd be great. Uh, but anyway, Elvira, you know, I still love Elvira, even though it's, uh, she really did rip it all off from Vampira. And uh, the movie Macabre uh, show was great. I grew up with it. And there are 12 movies here. So if you've been tiring of, you know, how they've been slowly trickling them out, you could get this thing and pack all 12 terrific schlocky movies in here. You've got uh, Night of the Living Dead and I Eat Your Skin and Werewolf of Washington, The Terror, uh, Tormented, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, Lady Frankenstein. There's a lot of great stuff here. It's it's really fun. And um, there's a few extras and bonuses, but really ultimately it's just all about the, uh, it's about boobs. That's really what matters. Uh, Wade Cronenberg, uh, David Cronenberg, he of the, uh, the Fly and Scanners and I don't know. He's a, he does movies, Wade. He does crazy movies. I know, but he's kind of fallen off the... Road. Well, the uh, the Rob Pattinson thing was a very strange movie. Did you see the Rob Cosmopolis? Pattinson? Cosmopolis? Yeah, did you I'm see waiting that? for the screener. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's not much. And uh, although Pattinson's perfect in it because he's just such a cold, lifeless actor that he's great for it. But um, a, little, a little scene, Cronenberg film, is a thing called Existence, which has a great cast... Even though it kind of died, it's from 99. Well, here, let me, let me just jump in here for a moment, because one reason that this died was because, you know, we get all these zeitgeist moments where there's like a bunch of Vietnam movies coming out at the same time, or there's a bunch of body-switching movies that all come out at the same time. We talked there's, about this last week. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. But it's, this is on Blu-ray. Oh. We, we didn't talk about the Blu-ray last week. I want to make a quick, quick mention of the Blu-ray, because we talked about the DVD, didn't see the Blu-ray, so I just want to make note of that. So anyway, carry on. We'll get to that in a second. No, you were going to say your thing. Well, I was going to say, the, the Existence uh, came out in a moment when there were a bunch of movies that were all about, is it real or is it not? Like this, the, 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 the perception dilemma. And the only one that really clicked for anybody was The Matrix. I mean, this was, this was right on the heels of The Matrix. And um, I think because The Matrix kind of resonated with people, there were, there were like two or three other films that were kind of playing with that as well. I think Open Your Eyes, I know, which, yeah. w- which was remade as, as a Vanilla Sky, was, yeah, that, just... that was around the same time as well. Yeah. And Matrix was, it sort of, you know, it got the whole, it, it really lit that fuse. And Existence is so weird, and it's so odd, and it, has, it takes such a bizarre twist on the whole thing. I don't think people really connected to it. Well, like most Cronenberg films, they tend to be uh, very dark and very dense and very, very of a piece with the sensibility of the director. He doesn't really, he's making the movie he wants to make. And if you buy it, great. If you're into it, great. But he's not going to dumb it down for anybody. And Existence is very much a puzzle film. And it's a difficult film. And it's got ambitions philosophically, intellectually. And I, I appreciate that. But uh, I just think like I just think it doesn't come together as much as a lot of his other films, previous films. And what I don't like too is that I have to say that you know when like the internet started like becoming real, you know like a real thing. Yeah. You you could you could just sense these Hollywood these Hollywood uh, you know studio heads going, this internet thing, it's going to catch on. Someone call Sandy Bullock and do a movie called The Net. 
oh, these cell phones are, are really catching on. So mm-hmm. Larry Cohen should do a movie called Cellular. Yeah, there you go. Because all these kids love cell phones. Like, it just seemed like yeah. they were jumping on a, ba- Fo- on a technological booth. bandwagon. Phone booth. Oh, phone booth. No yeah. one uses a phone booth anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's do a film called Phone Booth. Mm-hmm. And this is one I was like, oh, virtual reality games are popular now. Yeah. Let's do a film about huh? virtual reality. Uh-huh. And it's just a fad. Because like, if, if you watch this film now, you're like, virtual reality, what? what, what like, we're PlayStation 3 now. There's no virtual. What does that mean? I, I this thing doesn't hold up. Nope, I agree. I agree completely. Um, the other thing that we're going to talk about real quickly here, Dark Horse, the uh, Todd Salons film, which uh, we did cover last week. We did not have it on Blu-ray at the time. It's very good. Like it, it. Yeah, and, and I, uh, yeah, 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 it's okay. It, yeah, I'm, I'm less uh, thrilled on it, but uh, here's the thing. It, it, we got a Blu-ray of it. And uh, I'm surprised at how good the Blu-ray looks. Todd is not known for making uh, visually kind of arresting films. He's not known for having, um, you know, the kind of cinematographic patience that it takes to sort of make a movie look like, oh, say, Heaven's Gate. But you know what? This is actually, um, I'm impressed. He he really, it's a a better looking film than a lot of things he's done in a while. And uh, Happiness is probably the last time I thought something really had kind of a visual schematic that uh, was anything close to being really kind of you know, really in, indelible. But uh, this is not bad, not bad. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit uh, lower on it than you are, but Christopher Walken and his hair, fantastic. Got to tell you, fantastic. Um, Dick Tracy was a popular cereal back in the 30s. and uh, Really? Yeah, with milk. And it was fortified oh, with the 18 essential vitamins and minerals. Why do I try? Why do I even go there? Uh, anyway, VCI has released, we got two titles here. We got the original 15 episodes of uh, the Dick Tracy serial from 1937, not the breakfast serial, the movie serial. That's five hours of uh, heart-stopping, black-and-white, low-budget uh, detective action. And, you know, look, it's like, it's like any other serial at the time. It's, uh, you know, low-key stuff, and it's not very, uh, it's, it's good if you're like a 15-year-old boy or a 13-year-old boy. This is like the original fanboy material. We've all seen this stuff kind of, uh, and we make fun of it a little bit. Uh, but it, it, it's, it doesn't really hold up, but it, there's a nostalgia factor. And then if you really want to pile it on, uh, there is the complete serial collection, which is 60 episodes on eight DVDs, including the 15 episodes that I mentioned uh, that are available separately. But this includes not only those 15, uh, all five hours of that 1937 serial. This also includes Dick Tracy Returns, which is, you know, like almost five hours worth of material and another almost five hours worth of material in Dick Tracy's G-Men, and then another almost five hours of material in uh, Dick Tracy versus Crime, Inc. So uh, all in, you've got probably somewhere on the order of like, you know, 17 or 18 hours of material that will, um, you've got to be a pretty diehard fan. You really do. Because uh, this, is, this is the complete serial collection of Dick Tracy, and if, if you're sort of humming and hawing, you're not the, uh, the audience for this. And Dick Tracy's having a moment. You know, uh, the, the uh, Warren Beatty film is going to be out soon. Coming out soon. Long awaited on, uh, on Blu-ray. And then uh, we've also got Lawless. You know, um, Mark, this was, did you see Lawless? I, I, indeed I did. Tell me, is it just my bias against Shia LaBeouf, or did this film just really not work? Oh, Wade. It's one of those films. You know, here's the thing. It was directed by a guy named John Hillcoat, and John Hillcoat uh, oh, like, directed two films previous to this, really. He directed The Proposition, and the which Road. was great, and The Road, which was to me was a misfire. It's a misfire, but it's a, it's a well-done misfire yes. in, in many places. So I wasn't sure which was the real Hillcoat. And I thought Lawless would answer that for us. The problem with the movie, and there's a bunch of them, is that 
it's almost like he's trying to do the proposition as a mainstream studio film. Yeah. And the two don't really necessarily work. And I think that when it comes to LaBeouf, I I, I got to say, I, I've seen him be a lot worse than this. I, I think he's really... You know, we're talking Gary Oldman, Tom Hardy. These are and uh, Guy Pierce, Jessica Chastain. These are very intense actors, and I think he really does rise to the occasion as best as he can. Here, here are the problems with it. And for those who don't know, this is uh, takes place during the Prohibition era in uh, in Virginia, and it deals with two brothers. Well, three brothers, but primarily focuses on two of the brothers, played by Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy. Who, of course, was Bane recently in the uh, in the Dark Knight Rises, uh, and uh, you know Shia LaBeouf is kind of the 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 more you know he's the less thuggish. He wants to be a little. He's a little bit more of a wimp, and Tom Hardy's the brute. Puts on this really great Virginia accent, and they're they're uh, they're bootleggers, they're moonshiners, and uh, then of course you have uh, Guy Pierce who shows up with just like the freakiest hairdo and. And eyebrows and kind of like some prosthetic teeth, I think. He's the government guy who wants in on the whole corrupt scam and he wants to kind of, you know, pull off like a protection racket arrangement where he wants he wants a cut of their uh, their bootlegging or else he's going to bring the heavy hand of the government of the feds down on him. We've seen all this stuff before. We've seen it done better than this. We've seen Miller's Crossing and we've seen the Godfather films. We've seen gangster films and Prohibition era films ad nauseum. We've seen, you know, uh, Al Capone in a million different films. And I, I don't know that the material is new. I don't know that the, the treatment is all that fresh. My biggest problem is probably that the uh, they shot this with the uh, the Arri Alexa camera in a raw digital video format, and I you know I, I've seen some other films that were shot with the Alexa uh, and raw since, including uh, the uh, the new Star Wars? Bond, no Skyfall, the new Bond film, which is gorgeous by the way. What Roger Deakins does there is extraordinary, but it's a different codec from what was used here, and um, I just. Don't like how this film looks. I, it's not dusty enough. It's too sharp. I don't know what they did, but it doesn't. It just doesn't have the look that you have again in Heaven's Gate. I felt like this should look like Heaven's Gate, and the fact that they're coming, they're both out right now. People can compare this. You look at Heaven's Gate, and you're like, wow, that's that's the way to really recreate a period. It's dusty and it's dirty, and it really looks, you know, lived in. It has a lived in look, and here it just. It's like somebody's putting on a show, and it never really sucked me in. So I respect uh, Hillcoat as a director. I think there's a lot of very well-crafted stuff here. I think Jessica Chastain is outstanding. I cannot wait to see her in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, but uh, it just, uh, I don't know, it just misses a, it misses a beat for me. So anyway, um, but if you don't mind how kind of phony it looks, it's a, it's a good-looking Blu-ray. Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo. And, uh, you know, based on a true story, well, big deal. Everybody's life is a true story. It doesn't make for a good movie, necessarily. Ooh, bam. Zam. Right? Fuh. Right. Blah. Uh, wait, there's a movie called The Apparition. And I'm going to tell you the, uh, the tagline for The Apparition. And you're going to say, you know what? I'm either going to like this film or I'm not. You ready? Yeah. Once you believe, you die. You die. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Anyway, Ashley Green and uh, Sebastian Stan play this uh, young couple, and uh, they're in the, the, there's a haunted, uh, like a ghost or a presence uh, that was conjured up during this experiment, this college experiment, and uh, this ghost or this thing, this creature feeds on their you know fear. Just, just, just stop it. Just stop it. Make it stop. Make it go away. It really is terrible. You know what? It's just—it's got to be better than the collection, which I had the great 
misfortune of seeing it, that bizarre kind of cast and crew radio giveaway press screening thing yesterday. Well, this was directed oh by gosh. a guy. It's, it's, it's directed by a guy named Todd Lincoln making his uh, directing debut. And I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I know that there is an unending appetite for like low budget, creepy crawler films and torture porn movies, but even considering how low the bar is set, I cannot see this guy working again as yeah. a director. I mean, I, this stuff is just terrible. All righty. Uh, let's get into some animated stuff, shall we? Mark, a lot of people have taken me to task for not being a gigantic fan of Adventure Time, for finding it creepy and disturbing, and the fact that it gives me nightmares, and they have urged me, many listeners have urged me, to give the, give the show a second chance. Adventure Time's really clever. A lot of friends, I got some friends up in Seattle that said, oh, they've got kids, and they go, like, we love Adventure Time. I mean, let me just say, two friends in Seattle, parents, grown people. With, with young boys. And on Halloween, the parents dressed up in Adventure Time costumes. Deeply disturbing Facebook photographs. Yes, it is. I've been having nightmares ever since. So I thought, okay, fine. I, I know so many people and so many listeners, and they said, give it a second chance. It's a really clever show. It's great. And I watched it, and uh, about, about 10 minutes in, I was screaming. I just, I, it's just, it, it creeps me out. I break out in hives and, and shingles all over my body. It's a, it's a violent reaction. I just, I, I can't deal with it. Um, and this is what's so deeply disturbing. What I have in front of me is uh, Jake versus Mimao. And uh, this is a whole bunch of episodes of this creepy show in this little kind of a plastic gift box packaging that includes the DVD as well as a fin hat. Now, um, that's that little white hat. It just, it just, it the creepiest thing in the world. Look at the hat, Mark. Who's going to wear that? Is some child going to put that on while they watch this? Is an adult going to put that on? Yes. It's deeply disturbing kid's to me. going to watch it. Oh, come I on. Guess. I guess. So anyway, I, you know what? I still can't get with it. But if your kids love Adventure Time and you want that hat, boy, it's a, this is a great gift. I probably should have thrown this in on the Christmas show, but I, I didn't want to creep myself out too much. Um, Blu-ray of Metalocalypse. This is, uh, you know, we still don't get this. This is season four of Metalocalypse, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. We've we've covered this so many times in the past, and uh, it's you know, knock yourselves out. It's a Blu-ray. It looks good. Carry on, Mark. Uh, we have another. Uh, we have a Cartoon Network show. Another one <coughs> called uh, Regular Show. Wait, are you gonna die here? I'm good. Okay. Um, damn. Uh, we got it. <laughs> My plan almost came to fruition. We have um, Regular Show is a surreal little Cartoon Network number. It is about a uh, a a raccoon and a blue jay and their groundskeepers at a park it's one of those sorts of shows but you know what it's one of those shows that uh it's on cartoon network so it seems like it's for kids but it's more like adult swimmy and i have to say it's got some interesting vocal talent one is uh it's got uh, mark hamill and get this not only does it have mark hamill but it has um uh david ogden steers from uh, mash oh I who's like it. now I like 70 him. years old i love him Anyway, this uh, I mean, not, show... Not literally, but I mean, I... I you, you're not yeah. in love with him. Yeah, correct. But you like him. Yes. I understand. Anyway, this thing's been on for like... This thing's been on for four seasons, but, uh, you know, the way Cartoon Network breaks up their seasons and orders their seasons is a little bit different. Um, you know, it premiered in 2010, so they say four seasons, but whatever. So the show's pretty good. Um, it's definitely uh, an acquired taste, but a lot of this Cartoon Network Adult Swim stuff is. Regular show here comes with 16 episodes. And uh, a special feature that is not that really worth it. But, uh, you know, if you like that kind of stuff, regular show is poor vu. Mark, what do Snoopy, Bugs Bunny, and the Flintstones have in common? I love them all. 
Uh, no, seriously, what do they have in common? They're animated. I'm going to talk about all three of them right now. So, so they're not animated? No, they're animated. And you're going to talk about them. So they have two things in common. Thank you. Thank you for being a, a stickler. I appreciate that. Uh, Happiness is Peanuts is the uh, the new Peanuts uh, branded collection. It's the new way that they've been approaching the Peanuts uh, animated stuff. Go Snoopy Go basically uh, includes uh, It's Spring Training Charlie Brown along with five episodes uh, from the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show for a whopping total of 46 minutes of Charlie Brown and Snoopy mediocrity. It is not great, uh, but it's fine. It, it's adequate. If you know, It sort of fills in the blanks between the really classic stuff. Uh, much better is Bugs Bunny Superstar from the Warner Archive collection. Uh, Bugs Bunny Superstar is... Uh, Probably one of the one of the smarter, you know, they've done a number of these kind of feature length tributes to uh, the, the the Looney Tunes legacy, and uh, this one is one of the better ones. I got to tell you, this really, uh, if, if, this is ninety minutes of just sheer absolute Looney Tunes joy, and uh, it, it gives you this. Just, it's just fabulous. It's great. Um, can't uh, can't get any better than that. And uh, I, I'm just so glad this is finally out. I wish it were on Blu-ray. Uh, but anyway, it's a manufacturer on demand uh, title from the Warner Archive collection. Who, by the way, we should we should also point out, Blu-rays, Warner Archive, doing Blu-rays now. I know we talked about that. It's I cool. know, I know. We got to remind people. Get, get, keep an eye out. We're going to cover them as much as we can. Uh, but that's just such a great thing. And then also from the uh, Warner Archive collection, their Hanna Barbera Classic Collection line. It's kind of like a line within a line. Is uh, the Flintstones Prime Time Specials uh, Collection Volume One, which includes the Flintstones Meet Rockula and Frankenstone yeah, and Flintstones come on. and Flintstones awesome. Little Big League. Awesome. You know, people forget that there were these Prime Time Specials for the Flintstones, and they're great. They're terrific. Uh, this is just fantastic. So um, a lot of fun here uh, if you're a Flintstones fan. This helps uh, complete the. Uh, complete the legacy and i gotta tell you uh flintstones meeting rockula and frankenstone um i like rockula much better than count chocula much oh, I better love, i love the flint you know seth yeah. MacFarlane was supposed to redo the flintstones he's supposed uh, to uh do a uh, yeah i'm not so reboot. sure yeah you know what they, he, he's very respectful of that stuff you know have you, did you see any of the the thir- mockingbird uh 1313 mockingbird lane reboot no, of the monsters no, i did not i'm how bad is it i, I refuse to watch it i'm a purist man well, you know what they uh, it got re- it, it didn't get picked up. So what they did was they decided to air it as a TV movie. Maybe mm. hoping it would like become a backdoor pilot. Yeah, no, I don't. Want, uh, that's not right. No, I, I agree. You know what is right, Wade? Is uh, the good folks at Laker Studios? These are uh, the guys who did Coraline, and um, I I love the look of Coraline. I love the character of Coraline. I don't know if I, I love the movie all that much, but um, these guys are back with Paranorman. And uh, Paranorman is terrific. Very surprising. It's stop motion, but it's great. It is surprisingly, uh, I mean, scary for what it is, I got to say. It's not bad. So I like the fact that it's equal parts kind of like old school, but yet it's got the, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, got some adult, modern, contemporary, you know, jokes for the kids. Uh, Definitely doesn't pander. It's uh, good. It's colorful stuff. I really liked it. And uh, I got to say, Paranorman is a good movie. It's you know, I mean, some of the visuals So you're telling here, me I need to watch it now. Yeah, I mean, some of the visuals here are pretty beautiful. So I you, so, cool. so you mean that when when uh, a certain uh, colleague of ours from Laugh, I think it was Tim Grierson, re- just just a few hours ago, yes. fired off an email praising Paranorman, saying we should consider this as best animated film of the year. Well, look, I mean... What, what, he was what, not kidding? What, what, what? I thought that was like a joke email. No, no. Okay, Silver, if Silver Linings Playbook could be nominated for Best Picture and maybe even win, yeah. this could be nominated for Best Animated All Film. Right, what, okay. What, what, okay. I'll give it a okay, shot. Hang on. What else is there in the animated category? this year 
Uh, those like 17 uh, animated films that Ray recommended that come from like Eastern Europe that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> and, 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 and like the three that actually came out last year we can't vote for? Uh, that was hysterical. That was very funny. I mean, Ray, of course, you know, the same Ray Green that we're talking about who made the Vampira film. The, the, this is great. He sent an email out basically saying, you know, don't just get seduced by all the big branding, big budget uh, CGI animated films. There are actually hand-drawn, classically animated films that came out this year. And here are some. And he named like seven different movies that I'd never heard of. And they're all from like Eastern European animators and some guy who, you know, animated with dirt and twigs in the Congo. I don't know. It's it just it, – but anyway, I'll give, I'll give them a chance. I just need to get screeners to see them. Uh, speaking of, real quickly, uh, we only have a few minutes left, so we're just going to wrap up with a few things. The Flying House Project. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating. This is uh, Windsor McKay's 1921 film uh, redone, refashioned by Bill Plimpton. And Windsor McKay, of course, is sort of like the father of great animation. Windsor McKay created Gertie the the dinosaur, and um, you know he was he's like the the godfather of of film animation, more so even than Walt Disney. And uh, this is just this is just really really animation history. Uh, it includes the original 1921 film, The Flying House, and then into uh, and then you you get the the whole Bill Plimpton uh, reconfiguration of it. And, um, it, you know, the restoration that Bill Plimpton oversaw. And, I, I, you know, I just can't even do this justice in the, in the few minutes that we have left. But this, uh, this won a number of awards, uh, most notably the Best Animated Film at the Williamside Indie Film Festival in 2011. And if you are an animation buff, you are going to love this. I can't wait to talk to Charles Solomon about this. I'm sure he'll have wonderful things to say. Uh, also, quickly, last uh, few things. When horror came to show, uh, Shokiku... Uh, that's spelled S-H-O-C-H-I-K-U. It's the oldest movie company in the world. It is Japanese. It's the oldest Japanese studio and the oldest studio, period. It's been around for like 117 years or something. It was formed in like 1894 or something. Anyway, When Horror Game of Shikiku is, a, um, is the 37th volume in the Eclipse series from Criterion. And uh, it includes some of the cheesier films that Shokiku may not necessarily want to be known for. The X from Outer Space, uh, Goke, Body Snatcher from Hell, The Living Skeleton, and Genocide. All of these are, uh, they're all birthed from the post-war 1960s era. These are all late 1960s films. They're all birthed from that same kind of Godzilla era, Atomic Paranoia. Where, obviously, you know, if you consider the fact that less than a generation prior, Japan had been bombed by two atomic weapons, uh, this, is what it, this is what it gave birth to. And um, it's really, um, I can't say these are good films, but they are historically interesting films. And uh, it's certainly a really noble choice for uh, Eclipse to say, we're going to, you know, preserve these for posterity and give people a chance to see them in a box set and make it part of the Eclipse line. And then lastly related to that is a Blu-ray that we just received from uh, Echo Bridge. This is from the Miramax Library, uh, Godzilla vs. Biolante, the super beast battle of the century. Never before been on Blu-ray. I'm not sure that it uh, really should be uh, on Blu-ray or on DVD. I'd kind of like to bury this. This is a uh, 1992 Godzilla film that just does not hold up with the original Godzilla films, but, uh, you know, they just can't let this thing go. They cannot let this get... They just... They, they can't. Uh, Biolante is this, the stupidest monster I've ever seen in the world. It's, it's like we have to get bigger and scarier and badder and more ridiculous, and uh, the special effects have not improved. Um, maybe, you know, if this thing had been made in the last few years, they'd have CGI'd it up and it would be even cheesier. I don't know. But anyway... Um, it, it's, it, I won't give you the whole uh, plot of the thing because it's really just so silly. You just want to cry. 
but um, Biolante and Godzilla are kind of related in a way, and I'll leave it. They, uh, they, they, they used to date. Let me, let me just let me just say it, it takes the whole concept of stem cells to an absurd level, a truly ridiculous concept. They could have done way better. But anyway, it's on Blu-ray. It's part of the uh, the Echo Bridge Miramax Library. And with that, Mark, we are uh, we're done. We're done, babe. We're, we're done here. So, uh, barring uh, barring any unforeseen delays, uh, unless somebody tells me that they've got some super crazy awesome box set or giveaway that they uh, they need to get to us uh, for our holiday show, uh, that's going to get to us late. Uh, we're gonna, we're going to do our holiday show next week. We're going to do the. It's mostly Christmas. All the all the Jewish distributors haven't gotten me any Hanukkah stuff. I always hit them up every year for this. I, you know I say, why? look, because we the, the Jewish distributors are so cheap that they can only mail things out and in the slowest, cheapest possible rate. So you're not getting any one, any overnight, any two-day delivery. Three, they're Jewish. You'll get it when you get it. I'm so glad you're Jewish because otherwise we'd get hate mail for that. Uh, all right, with that, we are done. And uh, what are you showing me? What, what is that? She was calling. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, there we go. We, we got to go. We got a call coming in. Hey.